We got one heck of an all-star game to break down. We got primetime events booked for next season. And we got trade deadline targets to dissect. Episode 306 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. And now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Uh, Brett, uh, where do you want to start off first? Do you want to start off with the very fun stuff or um, more disturbing news out of Chicago? Well, yeah, I think, I mean, we will get to the All-Star Game and all the other announcements there, but... um... But yeah, we'll uh, we're gonna start off with the the not so fun news. Uh, so the Kyle Beach situation has still not gone away, and for g- good reason. Um, but uh, I guess there was like a town hall meeting for the Blackhawks, and Rocky Wirtz, the owner of the Blackhawks, um, was asked about Kyle Beach. And um, there is a full video if you want to go check it out. Please, please do. It's um, Wally Maz 35 has it. I think like I think even TNT put it on their actual show, which is uh, intermission show, which is great. But um, but essentially, Mark Lazarus. Um, although I've had trouble with uh, Mark Lazarus just as a because uh, he left Bergeron off of a sulky uh, nomination, but uh, I do have to give him credit for this, obviously. Um, because, I mean, there are worse things to get canceled for, to be fair, leaving Bergeron off a silky nomination isn't yeah, it, it, yeah, I feel weird being like, how dare you leave Bergeron off of this, and then just, like, get mad at, like, hate him forever for the rest of my life. So, yeah. so he, he, uh, he canceled himself out this way. Um, I, he, he's back in my good books now, just by asking this, this hard question. Uh, but, yeah, so anyways, he asked... Um, Rocky words about the Kyle Beach situation and if they've moved on um, or something like that. And um, Rocky words essentially said, I, I don't want to, I do have the video in front of me, but I don't want to necessarily play it, but it's just basically, we're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about 2010. We're moving on. I, I think he also, to paraphrase, cause I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but uh, he also was basically mentioning how, um, how like all the punishments have already happened and they just want to move on, um, which is fine, I guess. Like that does make sense. Dan Bowman's gone as a result, and they you know Quenville's gone. Um, the Blackhawks did have to change a lot, and that is essentially what the Blackhawks have to do is move on. However, he uh, he said it in a very like when when you watch it in a video. He said it in a very derisive, condescending way, like, um, and it just like it makes it seem like, like we're ready to move on. And he's like angry that we're even asking this question because it's like the, that's the whole reason why we're even bringing this whole situation up is that this did happen in 2010. So, so it's just uh, like it's just like annoying that he had to like. Just be like, like it, it just proves that he doesn't understand why everyone's so upset about it. It's like, yeah, I guess the right people got fired and all that stuff. But at the same time, it's like, like the, 
Like it's going to take a very, very long time for the Blackhawks to get um, any sort of recognition or respect again, um, just from how they've handled this whole situation. Just the fact that it, the part of the quote where he says, it's none of your business in a very defined way. I'm thinking actually it kind of is right because there was nothing done since 2010. I, th- I, I think it is our business to know yep. exactly what the heck is going on and what the Hawks are going to do moving forward. Especially when I found an article from the hockey news, literally just going onto the hockey news website. And it's actually one of the most recent articles that's up there. It was published this week. And, uh, it was actually talking about the Chicago Blackhawks, and um, it, it was it was about um, a possible uh, John Doe three case involving the team. So uh, I think this is still very, very much a problem. This story isn't going away; it shouldn't go away. And the unfortunate part is. Um, there's going to be more to this if the reports are true. Uh, the headline, according uh, to the Hockey News, it says, Report, John Doe 3 among three plaintiffs weighing lawsuits against the Blackhawks. It goes on to say, TSN's Rick Rusthead reporting that John Doe 3 is among those plaintiffs potentially preparing to file lawsuits. So go read that article by Mike Stevens. Go read the latest from Rick Rusthead if you want more information on that. It's absolutely our business to know, Mr. Rocky Wirtz, and it's absolutely your obligation to keep us in the loop on that. Because regardless of what happens on the ice or off the ice, the buck stops with the owner. Because the owner owns the team, and he should be held accountable for everything that happens out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is the owner and all that stuff. It's just... um... it's like this, this situation is not getting over anytime soon. So, um, in other news, um, so, oh, I I guess we should also mention that the, uh, Arizona Coyotes are moving to a new location for the time being. Uh, it's actually in a Arizona state university, new arena, uh, which if you're wondering how crazy that is. It is pretty crazy. Um, according to Friedman, oh, hold on, I was just pulling up this tweet here, but um, but yeah, according uh, the Arizona Board of Regents, according to Friedman, said that um, that the Coyotes have uh, like the the Arizona they posted an agenda for Thursday's meeting includes requests for approval of amended plan for Arizona State Arena. Uh, it indicates that Cody, the Coyotes, oh, I guess it hasn't been approved just yet, but um, but I would imagine it will be. But uh, the report indicates that the Coyotes have indicated possibility of playing three years at ASU. Uh, the teams will have to add an annex structure, quote-unquote, and an in-arena upgrades, and that cost appears to be just shy of $20 million. Um so it is a little strange the fact that like the like the NHL is so desperate to have hockey in Arizona that they're willing to have like a college hockey stadium be where the Arizona Coyotes play. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I guess it is like you know it just shows how much Gary Bettman and the NHL really want Arizona to to work out. 
Um, because like the, I mean, I guess it is, it does bring into like a unique feel to it where like, you know, that this arena is going to be smaller than every arena out there. Um, it does those sting when it's like, they're like teams that like Houston or, um, any like Hamilton in Canada or Quebec or Hartford, even like there are a bunch of cities that have been wanting to have an NHL team or, um, or used to have one and, and want it back into the league again. And then you're, you're just like, you're just trying to make Arizona work. It's, it, it doesn't seem to be working for whatever reason, but um, you know, I guess it could be, it could have a kind of cool, unique pull to it. If it's just like a smaller stadium. Yeah. And uh, the Arizona state Sun Devils have a pretty interesting program. Joey Decord being the most notable name to come out of that program. Yeah. Sun's legend, current Seattle Kraken. Um, I think this is the last Hail Mary this organization is going to throw. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, this might be it. Like, yeah. if nothing happens uh, the next three to four years, they can't get a new stadium built. Um, they aren't able to find a permanent home or the ownership isn't stable. Then I think the NHL pulls the trigger and starts looking at markets within the central division. And you point to Houston. I think Houston is the most obvious landing spot. They're a sports market. They have the MLB's Houston Astros. They have the Houston Rockets of the NBA, uh, which I guess could be um, a hockey arena choice uh, for them should they decide to move to Houston. They have the Texans, of course, the NFL. Uh, They have... Uh, built up a sports market and they're a very big city that can probably support an NHL team. And they've actually had an AHL team before called the arrows. So the NHL is more familiar with Houston than I think a lot of people realize. So um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's now or never for the Arizona coyotes. If within the next three to four years, they can't make a long-term solution work out this, this could be the end. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it is like, you know, I'm kind of in a mixed bag on this front or 50-50 on it. it. Like, I think it is kind of cool to have like a college stadium be an NHL stadium. If they can make oh, it, it is, someone. but it's not feasible for the yeah. long term. That's what I'm saying. Right, right, right. But like then at the same time, it's just like when you really think about it, it's just like, like imagine if like 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 they can't even fill like a college stadium. It's just like <laughs> at that point, it's like what what's going on. So, um, you know, I think what also stings is that the Coyotes aren't really good because uh, they're they're in rebuild mode. Um, so that makes it much worse to even sell a team like that. So, so yeah, and and I guess the writing was already on the wall with like them moving the Coyotes to the Central Division once Seattle joined the league. Um, so so yeah, I could see Houston, Kansas City is another one that has a few teams. Uh, Oklahoma City is another one, but um, that are like more central than Pacific. So so yeah, I guess they could make it work, but. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like a weird situation there. Um, you could also build up another rivalry, Houston versus Dallas. I mean, those Texas rivalries can get pretty heated. So that would be interesting to watch. Good point. Um, all right. So, uh, I guess 
because this is kind of stadium news, we'll we'll do we'll go to this uh, the next stuff, the the twenty twenty three events now, uh, because of the All Star game, which we'll get into in a second. Uh, but um, they they announced uh, the three outdoor games or the two outdoor games, and then one the All Star game where the All Star game is going to be next year. Uh, so the also I guess they can start off with where the All Star game is going to be uh, next year is in uh, Florida, which is fun where the Panthers play, um, and then uh, the Carolina. Um, is going to get a stadium series at Navy Federal Credit Union, which I think is where the Carolina Panthers play. Um, yeah, I was about to say, that'd probably be the most ideal place. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there's any other place that it would be if, if it's in Carolina. Um, I'll look this up once you talk. Uh, but then uh, the Winter Classic, uh, dun dun dun, dun drumroll please, um, is uh, Fenway Park. It's going to be in Fenway Park again. And if you are going... Wait a second, didn't they have the Winter Classic in Fenway Park? Um, and yes, you would be correct. Um, they, they went again in 2010. Uh, so this is the first time when the Winter Classic is going to be in the same place uh, for the second time. Um, you know, I, you, I, I mean, as I, I went to that Winter Classic at Fenway Park um, in 2010, and I was really, really cold, but it was really cool to see. I, you know, I think part of it was like, I felt like it was like a once in a lifetime uh, situation where I was never like, oh, this winter classic's never going to happen again kind of thing. Um, so, so it is kind of cool to have it be at Fenway Park again, uh, just because it's like other people can have that same experience. I don't know if I'll necessarily be going, but um, but yeah, it is kind of cool to have it at Fenway Park again. Um, but, but then it's like, you know, it kind of gets me a little bit depressed because I'm thinking like, where did the, like, I, I feel like there has to be more stadiums that they could go to and not go back to a retread in Fenway Park. But, but at the same time, I couldn't really like when I was trying to jog my brain of like where they could pro possibly go for a winter classic. The only place I could really think of was, um, well, there's two places. One was uh, Raymond James Stadium. I feel like it's time for Tampa to get their outdoor stadium. They've, you know, they're they're as close to a dynasty as ever now. And then the other one was uh, Jerry World or in uh, the Dallas Cowboys. I know that the Stars had um, they played another Winter Classic, but in the University of Texas Arena stadium but uh but yeah not not in jerry world so it would be kind of cool to do it um in dallas however um I, I don't know if you know this but it doesn't snow in tampa it doesn't snow in dallas um so so i i think like then that just makes it tougher um so maybe that that had something to do with it because if it's a winter classic it makes it tougher to actually do it in a stadium that doesn't really snow that often. Like it would be cool to have it like winter classic at in Dodger stadiums, even though I know that they never like, it won't, wouldn't be snowing in January 1st and they already played a game in Dodger stadium. It just wasn't officially a winter classic. So I guess if you like combine all the different outdoor stadiums, I guess it makes sense to, um, that like, 
maybe it's just like, okay, it's kind of cool that they're they're bringing it back to Fenway, but I don't know. Um, I, I I thought that if they they were going to bring it back, it would be to the first one in Buffalo. Uh, for uh, I think it was like Ralph Wilson Stadium where the Bills. Yeah, left. yeah, Sabers Penguins. Yes. But, but if they if they were going to do that, uh, speaking of Penguins, um, they they haven't announced the opin- uh, the opponents yet. But I don't know. I think I mentioned this to you, but I don't know if you know this. But the the people who own the Red Sox also own the Penguins right now. Mm-hmm. So um, so I'm thinking. That's probably going to be the opponent is the Penguins, uh, just so that they have like a Bruins Penguins type thing, which is kind of funny too when you think about it. Like the people who own the Red Sox, you would think that maybe they own the Peng- uh, the the Bruins or something like that, but no, they they own the Penguins. So so I I, I wonder if that that's the route that they're going to go, um, but yeah. So so I could I could see that possibly happening. Yeah, Bruins Penguins would be nice. You know, it'd be even better. Leafs Bruins. Yeah. That 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 meeting head dead meeting hasn't been outdoors yet. We've yep. seen two. Uh, we've seen uh, two parts of uh, Red Wings Leafs outdoors. Yep. There was a 2017, sure. I think 2014. I want to say, um, and we've had uh, Bruins Flyers outdoors. We've had Rangers Devils outdoors. Boston and Toronto is a classic rivalry. While it's still relevant, let's milk it for all it's worth and just put the Leafs Bruins at Fenway Park. That'd be neat. I would also like to see them mix it up and just try different locations, like out-of-the-box locations, like they did last year um, until the sun basically ruined everything. Um, Maybe something like that, um, if they can work out the logistics. Um, There was... There was a, a part of Alaska, Brett. Um, oh, Mystery Alaska, yeah. Yeah, Mystery Alaska. That would be pretty neat if they could do that. Again, the logistics, they definitely have to work something out there. Yeah. Um, maybe like Lake Placid. I don't know if the 1980 cool. Olympic rink is available, yeah. but that could be a neat local attraction. And hey, if you want to go for really out of the box, and again, there could be a lot of work going into this, how about Lambeau Field? Yeah. Oh, that would be sick. Oh. Like, like, I'm talking uh. like neutral site. Green Bay, Wisconsin, I think would eat that up. People flock to Lambeau Field all the time in the cold to see a Packers game. I'm sure to see a big-time NHL game with a nationwide audience, a lot of people in Green Bay would, would uh, pay a lot of money to go see yeah. that. You would get the atmosphere, yep. Lambeau Field, the bleachers, everything. Okay. That would be that would be something that I'd like to see the NHL try just once. Okay, actually, yeah, I think. I, why didn't you suggest this yesterday? I, I was like, I, I was <laughs> asking you. Like, mind, man. <laughs> that, that's 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 actually the best answer. Um, uh, like, yeah, just imagining. Like, I, I guess the the one bad thing about that is it's not like Milwaukee has a team or any of the you know. I guess the closest would be like Chicago and I don't know if the NHL wants to necessarily um, market Chicago at this time. Um, True. But I mean, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. You have Cole Caulfield that ties to Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, JJ Watts, a big fan of Wisconsin. I think Bill Kessel's from Wisconsin. Yeah, that'd be cool. And and they have the Badgers too. Right. But it's just like what team is going to play there because you don't have, 
like Wisconsin doesn't have a team, and the closest one would be the Blackhawks. I guess you could do like Blackhawks, Red Wings. Two entertaining teams that people will just, just like. Man, this is a fun game. Oh, this, oh, so you mean like just forget about the geographics? Yeah. Who, who cares about the geographics? Yeah. Just put the two best teams out yep. there and have them play outdoors at Lambeau. The other thing, though, um, so and like I just Tampa and Colorado, maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could, yeah. I don't know if that. See, the thing, though, with, like, just taking two random teams or just two of the most interesting teams is just that, um, like, you would have to get people who would want to travel all the way there. So, like, if you're going to bring the Lightning there, it's like, will Lightning fans want to go to Green Bay? Um, I'm not necessarily sure. I I guess, like, geographic, some form of geographics would have to play into this. I just throughout those names as like examples of fun teams I like yep. to watch it doesn't have to be necessarily those two teams mm-hmm. but but even then just put out a poll to the people of green bay and just like hey if the nhl came to play an outdoor game at lambeau field how mm-hmm. many of you would be front of the line waiting to buy tickets yep um yes yeah. i definitely love to see that local attraction too yeah yeah that that's that's a good answer i guess the uh, another answer which would be kind of cool is the seahawks stadium now that we're getting crazy yeah. a little bit yeah, that'd be good too. Um, but the thing is, is and I'm just looking at where what what day January first is in 2023 because I know football is around that time too. Oh. <laughs> and uh, you're not going to believe this, and it's probably why it's in Fenway Park and not um, in Green Bay. But it's on a Sunday, so uh, yeah. so that that must mean that they're not. Uh, so I, I guess all the NFL stadiums, I guess if like the Packers are away or the Seahawks are away, they probably couldn't do it. But yeah, down, um, down the road, it doesn't have to be next year, but like, yeah. uh, but obviously down the line, uh, even like 2024, yeah. 2025, just explore that idea and, and see yeah. what you can get out of that. Also, I think the bigger question for Seattle is not whether it snows, whether it rains, which would be bad for the ice Yeah, yeah because good point. Seattle does get a lot of rain. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, another one that would be kind of cool, although I don't know how you would do it weather-wise, but like doing it on the strip, um, in Vegas, mm, yeah. um, and and also like Lake Tahoe, that was fun last year, um, but yeah. but again, it's it's like it gets pretty sunny out, so I don't know how they would do it logistically, um, and also before we, although that was that would be a good transition to talk about the Vegas events, um, but uh, the uh, where the the this um, Carter Finley Stadium is actually NC State and not where the Panthers play, so mm, okay, uh, so it's not uh, yeah. So I was wrong on that on that front. Yeah. Well, um, to be fair, when uh, Detroit played the least in twenty fourteen, that was at the home of the Mason Blue, the Michigan Wolverines. Yep, yep. Um, so so yeah. Uh, so la- next uh, topics is the uh, speaking of Vegas, uh, the All Star Game. Um, it happened this weekend. Um, I I caught most of it. Um, I saw the skills competition. It was it was kind of cool. I do have some thoughts. A uh, one uh, for some reason, Chris Kreider was in the fastest skater competition, which just. It's like Chris Kreider is there because he has like 30 goals in, in 30 games, basically. So it's like, I don't know why they had him be the fastest skater when that's not his biggest um, strength. 
Uh, but he's pretty quick, though. Yeah, he is. But like, I, I wouldn't say he's like the fast. Like, I, I wouldn't say he's like known for his speed. Um, Maybe not now, but back, yeah, yeah. back in the day, I remember. True, true. I guess that, that, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. But, but I don't know. I, I, I think it's like it would be better if they had him at the accuracy uh, challenge, just because like he's the leading goal scorer. I just found that odd. Anyways, yeah. um, the, uh, the. Uh, them like having the event out in the Bellagio uh, fountains, that was kind of cool. But like the the way that the camera shot it, it was hard to tell what was going on because like the pucks were dark. They were doing it at night, so it was hard to really see what was going on. Um, yeah, and that's the same with the the twenty one stuff and that was, uh, the blackjack event as well because it was just tough to see because it was all at night. Um, it was kind of cool though, like because you could see like uh, Kachuk, uh, Brady, and uh, Matthews were joking along the entire time, and uh, Stamkos said that uh, like he was freezing out and he just wanted to get this event over with because he he's lived in Tampa for 14 years and he doesn't want to do he just wants to get this done with so he it, doesn't have to be the cold. The Canada has been taken out yeah, of yeah. him by many many years in the Florida. Yeah, side. yeah, no, no, that, that is a good point, but uh, it was just uh, like I thought that was funny. And then, um, and Pavelski was, uh, was like, Pavelski and Kadri ended up, um, going at it towards the end, but, um, they ended up being, like, the best at, at that event, but, um, but yeah, it was a cool event, I wonder, like, I know that they were doing that because it's Vegas and it's 21, but I would like to see that, like, as a future event that they keep on doing for all the other, um, events, um, also, I guess, uh, we should mention that Trevor Zegris, he, uh, he had this like phenomenal, he, he, first off he wore this like the dodgeball suit. Um, and then, uh, and then he got blindfolded and then he did this like, uh, like, like even if he wasn't blindfolded, it would have been like a crazy goal, but like he does this like spin and he like, he had like, he sticks the puck on his, on it on the stick and then he just like you know he just throws it in basically um and as he's doing that it one hand is on the stick yeah. by the way yep and, and, and meanwhile, he's effortlessly in control the entire time he's and, doing this and meanwhile hand. like these mascots are just throwing dodgeballs at him too so <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just like it might have been the most impressive thing i've ever seen um yeah. and yeah. Uh, for some reason uh he he ended up getting third um then third. Uh, yeah i know i third. know you told me he didn't get he, he didn't win but yeah. he got third yeah, yeah well that's what i was telling you <laughs> so what you beat him well well so so then there was jack hughes um and uh he did this like magic trick type thing yeah. um where he like he put there was like they put you put this like magic box in the middle of the ice and then he, like, put in all this, like, gear in. It was just, like, a short, like, you know, like, a small jersey and, like, a helmet and pads and, and like, uh, skates and stuff. Uh, so he puts them in. And then, uh, like, he j- just does some, like, he skates around the box. And then when you open the box, in comes this, like, little kid. Apparently this kid is, like, uh, a devil's equipment manager's kid. Um, and, and he just like, you know, so then the kid comes out and then they, um, and then the kid scores 
and then uh, both Jack Hughes and the kid put their pot, uh, their stick into the stands like uh, Jack Hughes used to do um, <laughs> during the overtime stuff. So that got that that score was one better than Zegris. It was like yeah, it was it was creative and I, I it was impressive too. But like Zegris, like not to take anything away from this kid, I'm sure like he'll remember that moment for the rest of his life. But like. Like, come on, man. Like, like, we just saw, we just witnessed, like, the greatest thing ever. And, like, Even that, that black yeah. golden through, that was, to- that was yeah. sick, man. And then the top choice was Alex Petrangelo, because, of course, it's in Vegas and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, but, but basically, he, uh, score no he didn't I don't score think he even scored. he didn't score they they what what he oh did was he had God. like they had the vegas drum line uh and they drum in um and they they do it in and then he just like he tried to score but he didn't actually get in and That's... then and then what happened was john ham uh gave them a 19 um and then they allowed <laughs> they allowed that to count because i uh, john ham oh john ham uh he's you know he's in he was in Mad Men. Uh, he's a famous St. Louis Blues fan, so he he wanted he was going to rig this to Alex Petrangelo anyway. So he just gave him a nineteen because um, he combined the ten and the nine together. A card. People say that John Scott stuff yeah. was rigged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so it, it's like I I think everyone knows that Zegers actually won that event. Yeah, but, we all know the real winner. But either. like, it's just. Like, that part was just, like, like I don't, like, whatever, Petrangelo won. But, like, even still, like, if Pe- Petrangelo didn't win, it's just, like, how did Jack Hughes beat Zegris? That that part was, like, more annoying to me. It's just, like, like what's going on with these judges that, like, they couldn't see? Like, like I wish I was there in person. It's just, like, uh, anyways, I, I, I guess it's dumb to really get mad about that kind of stuff. But I'm... And, and my my fanboy for Zegers is definitely showing, but I, I think everyone really knows that like the most memorable part of that night was Zegers. Um, yeah, uh, and then the actual event, um, it was I I got more accustomed to it because like it felt like these players were actually trying. Like they were kind of like low scoring games. Like granted, it was like six to four. I think one one of the games was six to four or something like that, but. Another one was eight to five. <coughs> right. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <coughs> I'm okay. went down the wrong pipe, I think, folks. Yeah, I think um, so. But um, geez, now I can't talk. Um. <clears throat> anyways, um, yeah, it was just uh, but uh, the Metro Division ended up playing the Central. <clears throat> yeah. And uh. The, uh, the Metro division ended up winning, um, which I was kind of surprised about because I thought they would lose to, uh, I think they were playing the Pacific um, in the first game. So um, Yeah, they shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I think the thing with the Pacific was is that, like, <laughs> the Pacific only had one defenseman there, which was... Uh, a Petrangelo, and they didn't have another defenseman for some reason. So, so I think that was why they didn't necessarily do well, even though it's like a three on three, it shouldn't really matter. But I think that had an effect on it. But like, even still, it's like, um, 
the Central had Yossi, who finally got to go because he got the fan vote. Um, and but yeah, by the way, all the like the snubs that we were talking about with Kadri and um, and Yossi, they ended up going anyways because Yossi got in on the fan vote. McKinnon ended up getting injured, and so then Kadri ended up going. Um, so, so like all that uh, getting mad over who wasn't going. Um, ended up not being the case. And also, now that I think about it, I think Marshawn uh, took himself out just because he of those Olympic comments and things like that. Like, that's my conspiracy now. So, there was that. But uh, anyways, uh, the, uh, the Metro division ended up winning. Uh, each of them get a million dollars in their pocket. So I'm sure, certain that's going to help them. And <laughs> that was a good motivator, even though all these guys are making millions of dollars every single year. But uh, but I'm sure it was it was good for them. Yeah, um, pro tip, if you're in your contract year, go to the Metro yep. Division because if you make the All-Star Game, you have a 50-50 chance of uh, winning the All-Star Game. This is out of six All-Star Games with a three-on-three format. Metro's won three of them. Yep, and I mean, I guess that, that makes sense. Because also Claude Giroux, he ended up getting the league, M- he won the, he got the MVP. I thought Jack Hughes and Sebastian Ajo were the most impressive. Um, but uh, but yeah, Claude Giroux ended up winning. But he is on his contract here, so um, as we were talking about last yeah, week. Well, so. Pavelski and, and Kadri. And yeah, Kadri, yeah. There, there are a couple of other names too that, uh, that were making uh, pretty interesting claims yeah. for their next contracts. Just like, hey man. Did you see me, the Bellagio man? Yeah. Like, I think that deserves an extra hundred k right there. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, <laughs> I don't. I, don't. <laughs> I just lit that thing up. Yeah. Um, yeah also, uh, who impressed me, Jordan Cairo, who won the fastest mm-hmm. skater, also got two goals and five points. Oh, yeah. Over uh, the two games. Yep. Uh, Jack Hughes, you mentioned he was very good. Three goals, six shots, and two takeaways. I believe in the two games uh, that he played. Uh, and uh, I'll give a shout out, to, obligatory shout out to, to the only sense participant, Brady Kachuk, who got one assist. Yep. Oh, and uh, I guess I should mention that Bergeron ended up getting a goal. So that was nice. Um, nice. But yeah, it was. Uh, oh, and also you would mention uh, Jordan Cairo. Um, and uh, he actually ended up beating not, not only Dylan Larkin, who's won the fastest skater before but uh he also ended up being mcdavid um and mm-hmm. like mcdavid like that that was no joke because mcdavid's usually good at these kind of competitions but yeah uh jordan Cairo ended up winning so i was impressed by that yeah um, i mean yeah. The, the thing with Connor mcdavid and what makes him so lethal on the ice is yes his speed but also his unpredictability with uh stick handling the puck and just the hand eye and just his vision on the ice on top of the speed. Like there were a couple, a couple of years ago. Um, can't remember. I think it was the 2020 all-star game. I want to say, or maybe the year before, but I remember Anthony Greco won the AHL's fastest skater competition. And his time at that competition was faster than McDavid's at that year's NHL all-star game. So there are a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are some hockey players more than you may think that are actually pretty fast and even faster than McDavid by a little bit. But it's the other things that make McDavid so lethal with his speed. 
Right, right, right. Um, so now to get going, um, we have, uh, so uh, the trade deadline is in a couple of, I guess it's it's next month, but we thought this would be good. Yeah, March 21st would be precise. So, yeah, so uh, like still six, have some seven time. weeks away. There's a lot of time. There's still some time, but we figured to, since like there's not much else going on right now that we, we can... We can talk about the the potential like trade targets because this is around the time when all the trades are like all this trade rumor stuff is going to pick up and and um, especially now with like who knows with the pandemic stuff it, it might take a while for players to get on teams and all that stuff um, although that's mm-hmm. pro- that seems to be more relaxed now um, so uh, so yeah we have five uh, trade target trade bait targets. Um, and then, so for each one, we'll talk about what will they provide to a team? How likely will they be traded? And, um, if they are going to be traded, what team would need their services? Uh, so we're going to actually start off with, um, Tomas Hurdle. Um, he is, uh, so currently I was just, I just had his stats up here. Uh, he has, uh, 38 points in 46 games he has 22 goals um and 16 assists uh currently i'm he has are you th- no he doesn't have a no oh he has a modified no trade clause um but i think that was uh where a player submits a three-team trade list interesting um, yeah Remember, remember yeah. the list of San Jose Sharks that I told you, and it's crazy how many San Jose Sharks have a three-team trade list. Yeah. He's one of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I was just yeah. I'm looking here. Nick Bonino. Oh, he has a five-team no-trade list. Logan Couture. He has a three-team. Brent Burns has a three-team. Mark Edward Vlasic. Up until his buyout, I think Martin Jones also had one. Okay. Um, Carlson has a no movement clause. James Reimer yeah, has so a five team. Man. Yeah, that's interesting. But I think uh, Evander Kane also had a three team trade. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's, that's right. Terminated his contract. Um, so, so the thing is, like, it, there were kind of rumors over the off season that Hurdle wanted out. However, he has kind of re backed, um, backed out of those comments, saying that like, no, he he wants to remain in San Jose. But it's it's still kind of unclear that it wouldn't necessarily be surprising if he goes. Um, the Sharks are currently um, four points out of the second wild card spot, so I, I feel like that should be noted. I mean, of course. Uh, so like, I feel like if the Sharks do end up making the playoffs, they will. You know, they probably won't be trading Thomas Hurdle because Thomas Hurdle is one of their be- better players. However. Um, even if the Sharks do make the playoffs, I don't think they would necessarily um, be good enough to um, make it um, on their, like, you know, to, to, like, go to the next round. So, like, I don't see them as a playoff contender, even if they did end up getting that wildcard spot, because then it's like, okay, you're going to lose to Colorado or Vegas. It's like, big whoop. Um, so... So yeah, I think from from that st- standpoint, I think it does make sense to trade Thomas Hurdle, um, and what he will provide uh, to a team is he'll provide because he's a center. Um, a lot of teams need a center. The Bruins do uh, most notably. 
Um, there's a couple of other teams. Minnesota is one of them. Um, so they're like, you know, those, those kind of players, like, yeah, they could probably wait for him uh, to be a free agent, but, um, but those centers don't come lightly um, into a trade market. So, and the Sharks could get a, a big return from Hurdle, but I guess the thing is, is that like the question is, is are the Sharks planning on rebuilding? Um, and if so, they would have to trade Hurdle because they could get the largest return out of him. But um, if they want to keep him, which they could, because he's kind of he's basically been a shark for life, um, and he is he, he could help them with their rebuild, even though he's 28 years old. They might he might just they might just want to keep him. Um, and like, I, I think it really just comes down to if Hurdle wants to go, he goes, if he wants to stay, he stays. Um, and, um, and yeah, so, although I guess the cap space stuff might be an issue. Um, so, so maybe it might get a little bit tricky. Um, but I, I think they could make it work. Um, but yeah, we'll see. So, so what, um, what will he provide to a team and how likely will you, do you think he'll be traded? Steve. So, um, let's take a look at the past three and a half years for Thomas Hurdle. Uh, leading up to 2018-19, his best season was, or seasons, was 2015-16 when he had 21 goals and 46 points in 81 games. That was around the time where you get around three to six power play goals just starting uh, to get trusted in more face-off situations. Um, and then a couple of years later, almost identical numbers, 22 goals, 46 points, 79 games. And uh, that season he had six power play goals. Uh, the previous season I mentioned he only had three. And uh, he actually won 587 uh, draws that year uh, for a 50.8 uh, winning percentage in the face-off dots. So again, getting more chances on the power play, getting more chances in face-offs, getting more chances in all situations to excel. And this is a guy that can also rack up a lot of shots. He, I've seen uh, 175 shots season in 2017-18, the year after 176. Uh, back in 2015-16, when he had his first, I wouldn't call it a breakout year, but his first impressive, okay, we might have something here. He had 202 shots, and he was only averaging 15.58 per game. The past four years or so, Thomas Hurdle has been very, very, very good. 2018-19, that was the year the Sharks made it to the Western Conference Finals and lost to the Blues. 35 goals, 74 points in 77 games, 79 over 82 pace. He had a 19.9 shooting percentage, 11 power play goals, even got a shorthanded goal while he was at it, and he won 51% of his draws. And I think he took well over a thousand draws um, at that time because uh, he won six hundred nine. So that's that's at least twelve hundred draws that he took. Uh, 2019-20 lockout shortened season only plays in forty eight games, but in those forty eight games he gets sixteen goals, thirty six points. That's pretty good. That's still a sixty two point pace. Thirteen point seven shooting percentage only gets one hundred and seventeen shots there. Only two power play goals, so not terrific. And even then, still wins 54% of his draws. Pretty good. 2020-21, this was last year. 43 points in 50 games, 19 of those are goals. 
That's a 71-point pace over 82 games. Only takes 112 shots, which means an even better shooting percentage of uh, 17 on the nose compared to the previous year. Four power play goals and 10 power play points. Wins 55% of his draws, despite only a slight tick in his power play time and his overall time on ice only went up by 40 seconds. That's not a major jump, but a little bit of a jump nonetheless. And so far this year, he's on pace for 68 points over a full 82 games, 22 goals, 38 points in 46 games. So that's his highest goal total already since 2018-19. Only taken 128 shots, so over 17% successful in terms of his shooting selection. That's good to see. Only three power play goals, but again, in the face-off dot, he's been pretty good, winning 53.6% of his draws. His power play time's actually gone down compared to last year, uh, and his ice time in all situations has actually gone up by 22 seconds per game. So you're starting to see Thomas Hurdle being trusted more uh, as an all-around player, as an all-around center, and that's great to see. He is going to provide a lot of value. I think... It's a strong 40% chance that he stays, but I still think 60% chance they trade him, mostly because of the cap situation that they're in and the amount of resources they need uh, to get. Do you pull off a sign and trade with a trade partner to get a bigger value? I think they might have to, considering he has a three-team trade and essentially controls his own destiny here. You look at the cap situation for the other guys that they have, Logan Couture, Brett, you mentioned him. He has another five years left on his deal after this year. Eric Carlson has another five years after this year is done. Vlasic, who is aging pretty quickly, has another four years on his deal. Brent Burns has another three years. And then in between all of that, after next season, you have to pay Timo Maia, who has a $6 million cap hit. And in his first 38 games this year, got 47 points. You're also lacking in a couple of draft picks in the coming years. A little bit of a salary cap space, but only $5 million this year. That's not really significant. Um, so will the Sharks have to take on salary to get top value as well? That might be a possibility. But I think the chances of the Sharks getting better with Thomas Hurdle in the lineup are less than do the Sharks get better by trading Thomas Hurdle for future assets that will help them get yeah. better. So that's why I say 60% chance he gets moved, 40% he stays. Yeah, I think it depends on how good the Sharks can be these like in February and, and the early March. Um, because if they go on a run, which I guess is possible, then they could be in a wild card. And, and once they're in a playoff, like who knows? Or once if they're in the playoffs, who knows? And, and all that stuff. So... Um, but like if they start losing all of a sudden, I guess like like right now, um, then then yeah, it would it would probably be uh, bad for them. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's really what it all depends on uh, for them because the Sharks are in one of those are one of those teams right now where they're kind of in the middle where they're not good enough to be a, a serious playoff contender, but they're not bad enough to be uh, tanking and and rebuild, working on a rebuild, and that's basically not the right stage that you want to be in um so hurdle whatever return you could get out of him would be great um so so it would help with that rebuild because i think that's probably what they should be doing but uh yeah who really knows um 
in terms of teams that I think if he were to be traded, I think teams that would be interested, I mean, pretty much a lot of teams should be interested. But uh, I think the two ones that are kind of the, the biggest ones are the Bruins and the Rangers. I don't think the Bruins, I mean, I'm going to say this whenever I bring up the Bruins, but I don't think the Bruins have enough prospect pieces to get it done for any of these guys. But, um, you know, since David Krejci left, um, the Bruins are a completely different team. And uh, so Hurdle would be a, a significant upgrade from uh, Eric Halla um, or um, I guess now we have Charlie Coyle as the second line center. So um, and, and you, you could have Hurdle, pa- Pasternak and Taylor Hall. On your line, that would be um, something that I don't want to get too excited about because I know that's not going to actually happen. But um, but yeah, if there's a way that the Bruins could could make that work somehow, um, I would be all for it. Um, and, you know, maybe they could be like, hey, uh, you know, we uh, you you guys ripped us off on the Joe Thornton trade. Uh, you know, why don't you just return the favor because we we gave you Joe Thornton for free, basically. Let's let's uh, let's like do it back <laughs> after that. Um, and then, and then the sharks would probably be like, uh, wasn't that what the Martin Jones trade was about? <laughs> and then they would be like, yeah, I guess fair point. But, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. I guess the Rangers would be interesting too. Um, just because, uh, yeah, they have Sabinijad and Ryan Strom is really good too, but he's a free agent this, this next year. Um, and I think I would rather have, uh, Thomas Hurdle instead of, um, Strom, so I think I think that would be um, another interesting bargain because I feel like I'm not I'm not sure if Ryan Strom is necessarily at that level just yet, but Thomas Hurdle would definitely help that team uh, grow into a significant contender. Um, although I do like Ryan Strom, so so maybe Ryan Strom would be good too. But who knows? I I think the Rangers might be in on. Thomas Hurdle, just because I feel like the Rangers are always linked to like the big, the big players um, every single year. So <laughs> we'll see. So um, to continue with the two teams, I'll actually not put your Bruins in the conversation, but the Minnesota Wild okay. instead, uh, mostly because um, Victor Rask is going to be a free agent. He's not the solution this year or any year at this rate. And um, they're going to get some cap space to maybe keep Thomas Hurl around. And it's been well documented, Kirill Kaprizov, the main, one of the main sticking points between him re-signing with Minnesota is uh, center help. Yep. And that hasn't arrived yet. Uh, they do have some prospects in the pipeline, but right now they need a solution. And I think Thomas Hurl could be a very good fit. However, some things are just meant to be, and Brett, we have talked about this ad nauseum on our email chats, and it's just meant to be, right? It's just meant to be. Thomas Hurdle's going to the New York Rangers, end of story. Yep. Uh, Like, if you're Thomas Hurdle, how can you not like this as a potential second-line pairing? Like, you're, you're, you're down the middle... If you're Thomas Hurdle, you've got one of Chris Kreider or Timmy Panarin and Alexis Lafreniere yep. as your left winger. And sometimes Lafreniere can be on the right wing, so hey, who cares? you got Lafreniere anyway. You have guys like Capo Caco in the mix. Uh, Philip Kedel as well. 
there there's so many options that make you go yeah this team's gonna be fun to play for right and and they do have a bit of money to work around i know the adam fox contract kicks in um so they could um work some things out now if they do extend thomas hurdle i feel that one of Truba or Kreider could become expendable, not them per se, more so their contracts. But at the end of the day, if you're the New York Rangers and you find yourselves in a position to win right now in a heavily stacked uh, Metro division, that's probably only going to get tougher at various points. You, the Flyers have an urgency to improve. The Devils have an urgency to improve. The Islanders are having an off yeah. year. Surely that's going to be a fluke, and they're going to be back in the thick of things soon. Is the thing, Are you going to let the thing that's slowing you down be uncertainty down the middle on the second line? I don't think so. And while Ryan Strom is a pending unrestricted free agent, I think Thomas Earle straight up is an upgrade over Ryan Strom. So where Ryan Strom fits into all that, I have no idea. But if you're the Rangers, that's beside the point because you'd be getting Thomas Frickin' Hurdle. Yep. And you also have the prospects. You can give up a first-round pick for a year. Who really cares? You're doing well right now. If it's if it's this year's first-round pick, yeah, sure. 25th to 32nd, like, who are you going to take in that? So, um, I, I think the Rangers would be more willing to part with young assets than Minnesota is. So that's why also um, that uh, Thomas Hurdle uh, trade could happen. And I think depending on the return, it could be a sign-in trade as well. Yeah, Minnesota is interesting. I I mean, the thing that, like, yeah, they, they do need center help. But at the same time, like, Ryan Hartman's having a career year. And, uh, I mean, who knows how long that's going to last. But I just looked here. Ryan Hartman's making $1.7 for the next three years. Um, so like, I mean, yeah, he's, he's probably, like, he's probably not going to be as good as he is right now, but I don't know if he, if he, like, as long as he's gelling with Kirill Kaprizov, it's like, what, what, what are we doing here? And so it's just like anything that can help with Kaprizov. And, uh, so if, if he can have chemistry with Kaprizov, that helps. Um, I just said the same thing three times in the span of a minute, but um, but yeah, I, I guess my point is, is that like, I, I guess they don't necessarily have a huge need for, for, um, hurdle for center because they do have Harmon, um, who has emerged, Joel Erickson, we know what he's capable of as well. So, um, and also they have Marco Rossi in the wing, um, next year. So that's, that's another consideration as well. So, um, Okay. Then, uh, so now we're going to our next person, uh, our next player, is uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, what's interesting about Marc-Andre Fleury is, well, first off, he is, uh, he's a 13-year pro. He's uh, won three cups, although two of them he was the backup goalie for. Um, recently won a Vezina. Recently won a Vezina. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, like, he gets traded uh, in the offseason that he won wins this Vezina. Um, and then he, uh, he, he's having a, a good, a kind of good year. Well, actually not a good year. Well, I mean, a good year for the fact that he's on. Yeah. yeah. 
Considering that he, yeah, I, I should I should reference it that way. Robin Lair before yeah. he went to Vegas. Right, right. Um, and uh, what was interesting though is when he was traded, he had to like it took him a while to like actually say if he was actually going to go to Chicago or not. Um, and he ended up doing it. Um, but but yeah, it's it's so so. It, I am curious to know that like if he really means well or or like if that's if he was actually serious about that because I think he said that he was going to retire in Vegas and uh, that's where he wants to play with his agent made a big deal about him getting traded a couple of years ago with that photoshop so it was a it was kind of a tricky situation um, and yeah so now he's in a bad team in Chicago uh, he has a uh, 908 save percentage and um a GAA of 2.93, um, but but yeah, he, but again, this is his 18th year, which is crazy, um, in the NHL. So so and, and we and more seasons are good of his than not good. Um, he's probably he's probably in the Hall of Fame if he were to retire today. So. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of what he brings out is he brings that experience, he brings that consistent play, um, and I, I guess there is a little bit of concern because he's like this is an off year and you you don't want to trade too much out of it because like who knows he may not end up having it at the end of his career, but but yeah I. I, I think a lot, a lot of teams, he's better than a lot of the starting goalies right now. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that um, in a bit. But um, yeah, so Steve, what will he provide to a team and how likely will he be traded? So here's the thing with Marc-Andre Fleury. He has a $6 million base salary this year and a 10-team no-trade list, so he has some control. Chicago, if they move him, is going to have to take on a bit of salary. The good news is there are some teams that, that could use a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury to solidify their goaltending. There are even a few teams that need Marc-Andre Fleury to solidify their right. team. Um, when you look at the aging core of this Blackhawks team, Obviously, Seabrook and Keith are off the books, so they're no longer there. That leaves Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. Both are 33 years old. We keep reminding people, 2023, both are UFAs. Both have a $10.5 million cap hit. That same year, DeBrinket, who is 24, is an RFA. His, ca his current cap hit is $6.4 million. Once this season concludes, the following are restricted free agents. Philip Kurashev. Kirby Doc, Dylan Strom, who a lot of people think is probably gone from Chicago anyway, and Dominic Kubelik. On the blue line, you have three more years of Jake McCabe and four more years of uh, Connor Murphy on the blue line. So they still have a lot of term on their contracts. Thankfully, the cap hit for Andrew Shaw is going to end after this year. The unfortunate part for Tyler Johnson's cap it, it ends in July of 2024, so they still have some years to work around that. It's a good thing they have a first-round pick. Oh, wait, they traded to Columbus for Seth Jones. About that. Good news is, if it's a lottery pick, if it's a top-two pick, they can keep it and shift it down the line to 2023. 
the bad news is they're probably still going to be bad in 2023. So Columbus is still probably going to get a pretty good return out of that, con- that conditional first. Now, at the moment, Chicago currently owns a trifecta of, th- of third-round picks, um, as well as two seconds in 2023. They have uh, three third-round picks this year. At the moment, even for a struggling team, they have very little financial space to move stuff around. So I think it's a matter of when, not if, Marc-Andre Fleury gets traded. When you look at the numbers that he's posted with the Hawks, and keep in mind, those numbers were very, 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 very bad when the Hawks started out of the gate basically just losing every game they played. For the first 10 to 15 games, they were horrible. And then they made a coaching change, and then they started getting better. At the moment, Fleury is 14-16-3 on the year with three shutouts. With that Hawks defense, he has three shutouts in 33 games. I call that a win. 9.08 save percentage. Also pretty good. 2.93 goals against average. Again, for the circumstances, also pretty good. He's faced 1,009 shots in those 33 games. And when you look at the amount of quality starts, for those curious, quality starts are games with a save percentage at or above the league average. 18 of his 33 starts have been quality starts. Again, with that defense. Not bad. So, I'm not saying they're going to get you know, Colorado's firstborn child or Edmonton's firstborn child for Marc-Andre Fleury. But I think they could get a decent return for a guy on an expiring contract with some mileage left in the tank. And they need whatever assets they can get at this point for whatever guys they decide are going to be part of this next movement of Hawks hockey. So I, I think it's pretty obvious what they have to do. Marc-Andre Fleury, even if he wanted to stay in Chicago, I don't know how many good years of hockey he's got left. He would be very useful on a playoff contender. So I think it's very, very likely that Fleury finishes out the season in a different city, or he just retires altogether if it's if it's too much for him. But it, uh, in terms of trading odds, 70% to me, 70% Marc-Andre Fleury is, is out the door. And it's going to be on a playoff contender where he feels he has the best chance possible to win a Stanley Cup. And we'll talk to more about those teams because I, I do think this is the last dance for Fleury. Yep. I think after this year, he retires. Uh, well, that's kind of why I'm surprised you say 70%. I feel like it's at 95%. <laughs> I mean, it's Chicago, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, like, you even... never know what they're going to do. I mean, they give up a true. first for Seth Jones. True, and true. And then paid him. True, <laughs> true. Good point. But I guess it's like, um, yeah, yeah. Cause the, but, like, the, the fact that they did make that dumb. I mean, Seth Jones has been pretty good, to be fair. But, yeah, um, but yeah the, the fact that they don't even have their first round pick and they're likely going to be in a top 10 just means that they're probably going to try to. Like, they have to uh, trade. Well, also trading know. one of their youngest defensemen, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like they have to do something um, to do that. Um, as for teams, I have three choices, and I know already the one you have in mind because it's what everyone's talking about. 
Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, um, yep. the most obvious one. So I won't even talk about that. But Edmonton Oilers um, would be the perfect fit. I don't know what's on his ten-team trade though. So so maybe he doesn't want to go to Edmonton. Which is probably possible. Arizona is on there. Yeah, yeah probably. Um, and then I have so- two somewhat surprising ones. Well, one that's definitely going to surprise you. One that's going to be somewhat surprising. Which one do you want to go with first? I'd go with the least surprising, so okay. you can surprise me with the most surprising. Sure, sure. So, somewhat surprising, uh, Washington Capitals. Because um, mm-hmm. I, I was just taking a look. They're on my radar. Yeah. They're on my radar. I'm not uh, surprised at all. So, I was just looking at playoff teams that desperately need a goalie. Um, yeah. And That's basically my response to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, Washington Capitals, it's like, you know, Vanacek and Samsonov, I think, will eventually figure it out. But the their biggest need is um, the the goaltending. So I, I think that would be, um, that would probably be where he could go. What would be interesting if he goes to Washington is uh, in 2019, uh, that's that was the Stanley Cup final was Vegas against. It was twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen, yeah, yeah, good point. But but still, it would, it would be flashbacks to his last Stanley Cup final. Um, that he was at, um, and then uh, okay, and then uh, the surprising team is the L.A. Kings. Um, and that is surprising. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, that is very surprising. So, so I don't know if you realize this, but the Kings are actually second in the Pacific Division right now. Um, so, um, and then I, you know, I, I guess they do need help on forwards and things like that, and and who knows, they, they probably will get out in the first round. But when you look like, and and Jonathan Quick's been okay, um, although he's kind of been faltering as of late. Um, and Kyle Peterson's gotten better, but his stats aren't as good. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I doubt he actually goes here because I don't think that even if Flurry was to be on the Kings, I don't think it would necessarily be um, a good match. But, um, and I'm not really sure if they could even make the cap work because I know. What a headline if Jonathan Quick goes to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it, actually, Quick might have a. Doesn't he have a crazy cap? Oh yeah, he is. He's on five million for two more years. I guess that could happen, but um, or that could that would definitely be a Chicago move. Yeah, yeah. So he goes. Oh, but okay. L. A. has one million in cap space, and I guess they would have to like trade Cal Peterson or Jonathan Quick. So maybe they wouldn't necessarily have to want to do that. Okay, maybe (laughs) just thinking out loud. Maybe this. It doesn't actually work. Yeah, it, but, it's one thing to talk about teams that need goaltending help, but also it's another thing if the salary cap happens. But again, true. there could also be other moves that allow this to happen. True, so. fair. Well, I, I, I guess I was just thinking because, like, you know, I think the Pacific, other than the, the Golden Knights, the Pacific is pretty much wide open. Um, yep, so, so, like, L.A., Edmonton clearly needs help. Um, Anaheim, they, they don't really need goaltending help. Um, LA... They just need to hope Gibson yeah. doesn't break himself. Right, right. Um, LA would provide that. And maybe if, like, Fleury's that mad at Vegas, uh, for trading him away, there's a good chance that they'll probably play. Um, <laughs> maybe in the first round. So, uh, so yeah, I could see that maybe happening. Or, or maybe he goes to the Sharks. That'd be funny, too. But, um... But yeah, I, I, I feel like it, if you wanted to get really crazy with it, 
the LA Kings. Um, are there any other teams that I missed out on? I think the most obvious team that uh, people are going to be talking about not named the Edmonton Oilers is the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, yeah. Good one. I say that because Colorado could be involved with a lot of different players. They could make a pitch to go out and get Claude Giroux. They could make a pitch to go out and get Joe Pavelski. Yep. They don't really need John Klingberg, but if they wanted a John Klingberg or a Jacob Chikrin, I guess there's no stopping them. They could trade some pieces here and there to make it happen. I don't care how good their depth is. If their goaltending backfires on them, they are in very deep trouble. And I think the guy to stabilize that goaltending for this year at least is Marc-Andre Fleury. I don't, I'm not really been impressed by Darcy Kemper this year. At times he's looked good, but also the injury luck isn't on his side. Pavel Francouz has been injury prone for the past year and a half, and I don't really think the workload favors him. Having Fleury backing up those two would be huge for the Avs. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe they move Francouz out in order to make room for Fleury. But either way, I, I need to know if I'm an Avs fan that there's a safety net in case Kemper goes down or he struggles. Yep. That could, honestly, average goaltending could derail their entire playoff run, especially when Kadri is on a contract here and you've only got so many years of that beauty of a bargain that is Nathan McKinnon's current contract situation. You need to hit while the iron is hot. You need to strike while the iron is hot. That time is right now. Colorado has to do whatever they can to make it work. And more than anything, they need goaltending stability. And Marc-Andre Fleury provides that. So, um, I and, and obviously, if you're Chicago, Colorado's got the prospects and draft picks uh, to, to make it happen. So, yeah. it, it's, it, it would be a no-brainer if, if, I'm, uh, if I'm Chicago. I honestly don't give a crap about, oh, they're in the division. Get the best deal possible. Don't be blinded by loyalties to fan bases and and all that sort of stuff. Get the best deal you can because uh, you, you can't settle anymore if you're Chicago. You can't hope that things are going to get better. You need to stand up and take action and improve your team. Yeah, that that's a good one. The only thing about Colorado and just speaking of cap situation is their cap situation. They're pretty well, they much... they got good. roster players that uh, Chicago will need too, so it's yeah. still a win-win. That's a good point too. Yeah, maybe it will be a, like a larger package type of deal. Maybe it's Sam Gerrard. Like, I'm not yeah. saying that Colorado will want to ship him out, but no. there have been times uh, since uh, they got exited by Vegas last year that um, the there weren't people that were really confident um, in, in terms of, like, online. Sam Gerrard wasn't necessarily uh, the guy that was getting a lot of praise on the back end. So, given the fact that Bowen Byram is uh, showing some positive signs this year, yep. and you have uh, Kale McCarr on that hefty contract and Eric Johnson, too, there could be some guys that uh, they'd be willing to part ways with, especially with Devin Taves having a career year. That could be enough uh, to, to shovel Gerard out the door. The thing with Gerard, though, is, well, first off, uh, you mentioned Byram, and I agree with you. I think Byram is better than Gerard. But, um, but, well, the first thing about that is that Byram had a concussion. It seems like that was his second concussion in a calendar year. So I, there is concerns about, like, if, you know, you don't want to rush him back onto the ice because then yeah. you further 
uh, you would ruin his development that way. So I don't know if it, it makes sense. That, like, you can trade Samuel Gerrard, but you have to make sure that, like, Byram... But only because, like, if you feel like Byram is healthy for the rest of the time. And I'm not sure if they can really 100% say that. Um, and also, Sam Gerrard is on a... Uh, I guess he's on a... He has a six more years left at $5 million. And that's kind of tough to trade. So, um, so <laughs> yeah, talk, talking about uh, yeah. long-term contracts that Chicago yeah. might not be wise to take on. Right. That not saying that Sam Gerard would would be bad for them. Yep. Like Seth Jones is is great for them, but it, it's just another contract to, right. to add to the book. So I mean, they could they do get, like a get, uh, maybe they get draft picks and prospects yep. and just like a depth forward that's. Uh, takes some cap off of Colorado's hands to make it work, and yep. then Chicago just doesn't resign player X at the end of the year or something. Yeah, they could, or they could just do like a three-team trade where like yeah. they send they send uh, Sam Gerrard to Arizona, and Arizona, you know, like <laughs> takes it on because it's like why not? Um, yeah, because we yeah. all know Vegas isn't going to be in a position to just swallow right. up cap for no reason now. Right, right, right. Yeah, good point. Um, so Chikrin is, speaking of Arizona, Chikrin is the next one. Uh, what's interesting about Arizona and Chikrin in particular is, one, that he is the captain um, that they just made. Um, however, it's, it's like, uh, and he was their best player last year. Uh, he had 41 points in 56 games. He had 18 goals. I believe that led defensemen in goals uh, last year. Um, so, yes, he is very good. It, it was interesting, though, because the first couple of years in Chikrin's, he he did have, like, he, you know, he was always good defensively, um, but, like, who knew how good offensively he was going to do there. Like, every now and then he'd have, like, 26 points or 20 points, and that's not bad. But, you know, you kind of want to, like, it was unclear if he was ever going to reach that level. Uh, last year he really re reached that level where he had 41 points in 56 games. And keep in mind, Arizona wasn't good, um, even last year. So uh, so it's like that speaks levels that, like, uh, Chickering can be that guy. Um, and now this season, uh, he has he has been injured, um, but he has uh, he had 10 points in 34 games. Um and um and 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 he has been injured so who knows how long uh that can help but um but yeah i, I think if you're going to get jacob trickren um oh and i forgot to mention the uh let me their cap situation um he's on a very ridiculously cheap contract if i remember correctly why can't i find arizona right here oh here there um so uh, Chikrin is uh, making $4.6 million for four more years. So it's like, I mean, it's kind of like the opposite of Sam Gerard, where he's on long term. But like four point six for a bona fide uh, first line, first pairing defenseman that can lead your power play is probably like one of the best deals in NHL, if not the best deal. Um, and uh, so... I guess the thing that would be against not trading Jacob Trickren is the fact that he's already, he's your captain. He's 23 years old. Uh, the Coyotes are 
you know, definitely in rebuild mode. But if you trade Chikrin, it's like almost saying that like this, it's going to be a very, 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 very long time before the Coyotes are good. When like if they keep Chikrin, it's like uh, it it'll be just like a like still a long time to uh, for the Coyotes to be good, but not not so bad. Uh, where it's bearable, but like I feel like Chikrin would help with that rebuild just because he is 23 years old and that's still pretty young. So, so yeah, I think there is a chance that um, that the Coyotes do keep him, but on the other hand, they the Chikrin is like would get a huge, huge return uh, just because of everything I just said about him. Be better because this franchise is dying. Yeah. Um, so I can see why Chikrin would be appealing because of the contract and all that. And obviously the offensive numbers don't really illustrate, um, you know, how good this guy is. Last year he was great. This year he's been far from that statistically, especially on the plus minus. But again, the, the team he plays for is garbage. Yep. <laughs> They basically trade away all the star players. They traded Connor Garland, all Rickman Larson, Darcy Kepper. We've been through this before. They're terrible. You look at the contract situation on Cap Friendly. They have three players connected to the payroll next year. Only three notable players. Chikrin's one. Nick Schmaltz is another. And then there's Clayton Keller. Yep. And that's all they have. <laughs> like... The Seattle Kraken were in the first year of existence of more players on the payroll than next year for crying out loud. Yep. And Arizona has been in this league since they left for Winnipeg in the 90s. Like, it, it's so bad. Um, so the fact that they would even think about trading him is kind of alarming to me because, again, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Brad, when you're moving into that 5,000-seat venue, typically built for a college setting, and you're just like, come watch our team play. We've got Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz and a couple other guys. Don't get too attached to them. They might not be here for too much longer. <laughs> like, that's your selling point. Like, Chikrin's one of your yep. rare selling points that this team has. Like, you need him on your team, or at least give give it a chance. Like, seriously, what is the value for Jacob Chikrin today compared to a year from now? How much is it going to change? How much is it going to go down by? Mm -hmm. Just wait another year at least, see what you get in the draft, see what you do in free agency, and see what your team looks like in a year, year and a half. At that point, you still have two more years of Jacob Chikrin, and then if you think it's time to deal them, then you move them in the offseason of 2023 or something like that. There's, unless he wants out ASAP, there is, there is a 20% chance I do this deal unless this deal blows me away. Like, really blows me away. Um, apparently, the asking price could include at least one or two good young players, I'm guessing two, and a first-round pick. Which would be great for Arizona because I don't know if you've heard, they have a crap load of picks accumulated from uh, from other teams 
Uh, they're cap friendly. It's it's crazy. Yeah. I think they have five second round picks this year and three first round picks. Not not only that, but like all their like pretty much they have twenty players uh, who are free agents next year. Exactly. Including Phil Kessel, who's another yeah, guy that another could guy. be on the open market yep. too. Uh, but getting to to statistical points this year, ten points in thirty four games, two of them goals, and I say two of them goals because he had eighteen goals in fifty six games last year, forty one points in those fifty six games for a defenseman that's very very good. Uh, one hundred seventy six shots on goal, that's three point one four shots on goal per game. This year, it's three point oh three shots on goal per game. The puck luck just isn't there. There's not that big of a, a gap in terms of shooting percentage. But you look at the plus-minus this year compared to last year. Last year was a minus 6. This year it's a minus 27. And it was alarmingly bad within the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season. But even then, this guy's still logging 24 minutes roughly per game. Uh, 205 of that is on the power play, so he's still getting some power play time. Only a power play goal, that's all he has to show for it. But last year, he had five goals and nine assists with the extra man. So the potential for this kid is still there. He's just having a very, very no good, very bad year. Yep. So you, you as a hockey fan, are just like, okay, the tie's going to turn next year. Maybe he gets on a surge in the second half, and you got some momentum going in, going into 2022-23, which, which I think could be – very, very useful for the team, for sure. Again, until I see what the market is like for him, I don't fully make a decision unless I know I'm not going to get a better deal like this in 18 months' time. That's the only way I see Jacob Chikrin getting moved out is if Arizona gets blown out of the water. And for Bill Armstrong's sake, that's the only way I even consider making this trade Maybe you continue to gauge the market and see where the market is at. This is something I definitely wait to the off season and then reassess. Yeah, yeah, maybe um, that could yeah that could be a interesting like draft uh, trade if they were to do that. Draft but I guess trade, yeah. um, I guess it does depend though. Like if they do end up getting Shane Wright, then it's like okay, you have Chickren, you have Shane Wright. They just they mm-hmm. drafted Gunther. Last year, it's like okay, exactly. I can see it, but then it's like, yeah, maybe they maybe they do that. However, speaking of that, um, I can like if I'm a Bruins fan, like I know that I'm I'm excited to see what Fabian like Lisel can do. I would trade Lisel a first, and probably Jake DeBrusque, and pretty much like anyone who's not our core player. Um, to Arizona. Like, I would trade the moon for, for Jacob Chikrin. So, um, so yeah, I could, I could see, like, I, I could see, like, a team just, like, doing that. Um, Which is <laughs> not why he's in high demand, because yeah. everyone's going to be looking at a guy like John yeah. Klingberg and Crystal Tang, and yeah. they're going to go, man, this is going to cost a lot to keep this guy. Yep. But, hey, we got three more years of Jacob Chikrin, and we already know what he's getting paid. Yeah, yeah. And so, less than them. So, so I, I think it's, um, so it, it's, it's definitely like, it's a, it's a tricky situation. Cause on one hand, Chikrin would help you a lot in your rebuild. Um, and, uh, yeah, he is having one off year, but like he has like his, the rest of his career, 
he's been actually pretty good. Um, so I would bet that he's actually going to, um, you know, make up for it uh, in the following years. And, and of course, mm-hmm. Air, like no players are good right now in Arizona. So it's like it's tough to really talk about it. Except another reason to win another yeah. year, because if he bounces back yeah. next year, then all of a sudden the right. asking price goes up. Right, right, right. Um, or you just decide to keep him. Um, yeah. I, I will say, though, that, like, if I'm Jacob Chikrin, maybe you don't want to be in Arizona. Like, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, like there's no, like, shame in that. Uh, I, I probably, like, a lot of losing would probably get to me, too, um, no matter how talented you are. So I could see that being a thing where, um, like, the only reason why I could see him maybe being traded right now is if uh, he actually really, really does not want to be there. So um, so I, I think that's it. But I would still give it, like, a 60% chance, which is still kind of high. Uh, but I, I do think he's actually going to go. Um, eventually, maybe. Um and uh, but if if he is to go, um, there are um, well, I guess we can talk about that when Kling, when we talk about Klingberg. But um, but I could see I mean the Bruins as I mentioned uh, they've been looking for a left-handed defenseman for a long time, so uh, that would be the obvious one there. Uh, but uh, other than, like and also like <laughs> when in the twenty sixteen draft it was either between McAvoy and Chikrin. And it would be kind of, like, just from a narrative standpoint, it would be pretty cool to just have both those guys um, anyways. Um, and then the other ones that I was just thinking of, Anaheim would be interesting. Um, L.A., I guess, is another one. Um, but, but yeah, I guess if you're getting Chikrin, it's, like, because he, he, won't, he wouldn't be a, a rental necessarily. So it's, like, pretty much every team could be on the market. Uh, for Chikrin, just because, like, you know, with that with that salary cap and and that contract, he, he would be good on pretty much every team, um, even if they don't necessarily need a defenseman like Colorado. <laughs> Imagine if Colorado gets gets Chikrin. Uh, that would be just unfair. Um, I, I think teams would just complain. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Is there any, like, obvious team? I know that you, you don't think that he's actually getting traded, but... Um, if you were, do you have a team in mind? I've heard the Rangers possibly being tossed around. The Blues for some reason, which doesn't make sense because they I already have that. defensive depth. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they have a lot um, of defensemen with long-term contracts, too. <laughs> yeah, they have, like, Falk. They have yeah. Krug. Yeah, yeah. Pareko. That's but right there. To be fair, Chikrin is better than all three of those guys. But, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely, definitely the cap hits. Uh, yep. I, I would take him over Justin Falk right now. Right. Uh, Boston, I've I've heard them. Anaheim, Kings as well. Detroit would be an interesting one because they do have some prospects yep. that uh, Arizona might want. Um, and I also feel like Eisenman's ready to start adding, so I've heard his name get tossed around. Carolina would be interesting um, because everything Carolina touches seems to just turn into like 50 goal scores or like 40 assist generators on the back end. So uh, Carolina would be a nice landing spot. I've also heard like Toronto and Florida. Yeah. Even my Sens, I've. That'd be weird. I mean, 
Two young players in the first? Nah, no thanks. We got Jake Sanderson anyway. Um, I'm, I'm going to go off the board, though. I think Washington could come out of nowhere. I don't know if they have the picks or the prospects to do it. The, at the very least, they'd have to offer up Carter McMichael to, to make it even worth saying yes to. But a part of me thinks that Ovechkin, um, that Ovechkin's Capitals, uh, led by Brian McClellan in the GM chair, they're going to do whatever they can to extend their window. Um, and they came out of nowhere last year with the Anthony Mantha trade at the last minute before the deadline closed. So maybe they'll surprise us again. We'll see. But yep. um, it would be definitely a nice bargain contract to add because um, – where, where Chikrin plays, um, I definitely think uh, he could help the Capitals. I mean, he could help any, any team. Uh, the other one that, uh, as I'm looking here, Pittsburgh um, would be interesting too. Kind of just having Yeah, like, they're another team I consider yeah. too. But again, I don't know if they have the prospects. Yep. They, they definitely have the first-round picks because <laughs> uh, they, they – they never trade a first round pick uh, if they didn't think it was going to help their team. So. Yeah, that's true. They they always do that. Um, okay, so now we'll go to the the next two players, and then we're done with this list. Are on the same team. Uh, that's Joe Pavelski and John Klingberg. So, but we're going to start off with Joe Pavelski. Uh, Pavelski is um, let's see here. He uh, I just was just looking here. He's making seven million dollars, um, and he's a rental or he would be a rental. Um, he's 37 years old. He's uh, He only made the Stanley Cup Finals once, though. Um, of course, he spent 13 years in San Jose. Um, this year, he was on the All-Star team. He has... I mean, twice. Not only 2016, that... 2016 with the Sharks, 2020 with the Stars. His first year. Wait, what, what... Oh, right, yeah, I forgot. You're right. He, he did make the Stanley Cup Finals. <laughs> Everyone, Everyone forgets the playoff bubble already. Yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. No, no, you're right. But uh, what's interesting about him this year, uh, he has uh, he has over a point per game this year, uh, forty eight yep. points in forty three games, um, yeah, twenty nine assists and nineteen goals. Uh, what's interesting about that is is he's usually more of like known for his goal scoring. He's like a goal scoring center, um, but he has more assists than goals this year. I mean, I guess usually that's <laughs> that's what happens, but. Uh, but yeah, I guess 19 goals in, in 43 games, that's pretty good, actually. Okay, never mind. I, I rescind that comment. But uh, but yeah, that's not bad for a 37-year-old. Uh, it kind of just proves that he still has some left in his tank, in the tank. Um, and yeah, he has the most points in the star on the Stars by far. Albeit, uh, Jason, the next closest is Jason Robertson, who has 41 points in 35 games. Um, whereas Pavelski has played in eight more games and has 48 points. So uh, Joe, Jason Robertson has a better pace than Pavelski does. Uh, currently, the Stars are um, close to a wild card spot. Uh, they have 48 points. The next closest is Calgary that has 52 points. So they're four points out. Um, I think it will be probably like a same situation as the Sharks were as we were talking about them. It's like if the Starks, Stars start to struggle a lot um, in this month, then I think Pavelski goes, um, and we'll talk about Klingberg in a second, because I think Klingberg could be going either way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I guess, I, I, I think it, it might be a, a case where Pavelski does actually want to go uh, get a cup and get a chance with it. It's not like, 
um, a Claude Drew, oh, actually Claude Drew, that's a bad example. It's not like a Marc-Andre Fleury situation because Marc-Andre Fleury has three cups and he might not have as much of a, like, a motivation to get another cup because he's already in the Hall of Fame. There, he has nothing left to prove. He already has a cup. But for Pavelski, he's been in the league forever, um, and it would be nice to do that, like, kind of Ray Bork-type cup run where he just goes to a team and, and makes them that much better. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about the. I'll let you go uh, talk about um, Joe Pavelski some more and um, and what um, and how likely he is to be traded. So, Joe Pavelski continues to defy all logic in the hands of time. He's on points. He's on pace for ninety-two points in the eighty-two game season, and he is currently. 37 years old, turning 38 July 11th. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible for a seventh-round pick in his draft year, my dad. When he left the Sharks, Brett, I remember saying the Sharks can keep Joe Pavelski and they can keep Eric Carlson, but they can't keep both. And at the time, I thought they kept the right guy because, yeah, they were going to lose some of his leadership, but I felt they had enough talent in Timo Meyer and leadership in Logan Couture where they could keep on winning without him. And during the regular season, his first year with Dallas, 31 points in 67 games, only 14 goals. I'm thinking, now the regression might be starting to hit soon. And then he comes alive in the playoffs and turns his game around. Averaging 16.56 in the regular season per game that season, mind you, 31 points in 67 games, I guess is all right. Because, you know, it was a downgrade compared to the 19 to 20 minutes he was averaging over the past 7, 8, 9, 10 seasons with the Sharks. So, I guess maybe that contributed to his decline. But either way, um, not looking like the same Joe Pavelski. And last year, his ice time jumps back up to 19.01, averaging three minutes of power play time. The highest it's been since his second to last year in San Jose. And he gets 13 power play goals, 21 power play points, winning 52% of his draws. More so a right winger nowadays, but he can take face-offs, so that offers some flexibility there. Shooting percentage of 18, 25 goals on 139 shots. Love that. So... All things considered, last year was some sort of resurgence. And this year, somehow, his ice time has gone down again to 17.50. He's averaged less time on the power play, 2.39. Yet he still has 7 goals and 14 points on the power play. He's won 54% of his draws. Again, not utilizing the faceoff dot as often as he was. But still, pretty effective in the faceoff dot when he does get there. He scored 19 goals on 115 shots in 43 games. That's a shooting percentage of 16.5%, a decline of 1.5% from last year, but still 16.5%, that's a good number for a goal scorer, especially at his age. And 48 points in 43 games, that's over a point per game, Brett, as you said. Like Joe Thornton, and similar to many veterans, the longer you play, eventually father time will catch up to you. And you're not going to be the same players you once were. In the case of Joe Thornton, you look at a Florida team that's averaged, what, four goals per game? 
Joe Thornton isn't even even averaging 0.5 points per game this year. He's he's been at best a bottom six forward for them. So if you're the San Jose Sharks, you could keep Joe Pavelski for another year if you wanted to. But if he has an off year last year, or, or next year, I should say, what is the market going to be like for Joe Pavelski then? And the answer is not nearly as high as it is right now. Yep. So I think you sell high and you take a gamble. I say 60% chance he gets traded, but I think it's more of a 50-50 split. I don't know if they're going to keep him. But I think they trade him and they should trade him because of how the rest of their team is structured. 57.1 million, Brett, mm-hmm. has been committed to 12 players for next year. Of that number, 17.9 million, in terms of cap hit, has been invested to three players Miro Heiskinen, Essa Lindell, and Ryan Suter, all defensemen. You look at Alex Radulov, who has a $6.25 million cap hit for the rest of the season. He is a free agent like Pavelski is. His value is not nearly as high as Pavelski's right now. Yep. So you stand to get more out of Pavelski than Radulov. Sakara and Holpe have a combined 3.5 million cap hit. They're also free agents. You have Gurianov. In July, he has arbitration rights. Restricted free agent, cap hit of 2.55 million. That cap hit might go up slightly. Group 8 hints. Next year, after next year, 2023, July 2023, he is an RFA, also with arbitration rights, $4.45 million next year he is going to be owed. And this guy, at the rate that he is going, that cap hit is easily going up $5 million. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Jason Robertson is also a restricted free agent this year because his entry level expires. Right. And given his production... He's probably deserving of at least four to five million per season. Yeah. So when you factor all of that in, I think it's pretty clear what the stars have to do. They're going to have to make a tough but necessary decision and trade Joe Pavelski. Here is the problem. Joe Pavelski has a three-team trade list, so he controls his own destiny. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is a good point too about like the whole cap situation. I mean, you would like to think that you could sign him long term, but as you mentioned, they have a bunch of like Sagan and Jamie Ben have a lot of uh, are are both making nine point five uh, for Jamie Ben and nine point eight five for Sagan. So uh, yeah. that that's also gonna cut into it. Miro Heiskanen. With eight point four five, which is, uh, well, I mean that's justifiable, but, um, but yeah, the, uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely, like, I I don't think, especially since Pavelski is thirty seven years old, um, I I think it makes sense to move on from him and and trade him. I think the thing that's interesting though is that like Pavelski, because you might not sign him and you probably won't, but the thing that's interesting is like the stars are close to making the playoffs. So it really just comes down to if the the stars think that they can make the playoffs or not. Um, so so I I think they'll and and so maybe like maybe we should have done this in like two weeks because we'll probably have a better sense of what teams are gonna do. But I would guess that Pavelski is probably gonna get traded um, 
not only because they probably are going to lose these next games, but um, and they're in a tough division. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just the cap situation is also kind of at crazy. the rate of the podcast, James will probably get traded tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean that's fine too. I predicted that he'll get traded. Um, <laughs> the podcast jinx yeah. is very real, folks. If you haven't followed this podcast enough, it's a real thing. As for where I think he could go, um, it's pretty much if if Pavelski wants to go to because he has a no trade clause. It's basically he he gets a pick of um of who he wants to go to um I, I think Colorado if they want to make it work Vegas if they can make it work I don't think they could but uh Carolina um and Florida pretty much like the top teams right now um I I think that that could be a place that they could do it um yeah or even like New York the Rangers Predators even um yeah so like it, I I feel like if Pavelski is going to remove his no trade clause um, it would be to like teams that he knows has an, a legitimate chance of winning. Um, and yeah, or like, even like hell, even like Toronto, um, he might, he might want to do, do that for, um, but, um, but yeah, so I, I think in terms of teams, I, I think it's, it's just really like the teams that are on the top and I'm, I'm forgetting the fact that like if, if teams even need a center or not, cause like, um, because then, if worse comes to worse, you can just move Pavelski to the right, uh, right wing if you if you need to. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, what team do you have in mind that speaks to you? I like how you mentioned the best chance to win. Then you mentioned the Leafs. Oh yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Funny, funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sorry, Leafs, but yeah, yeah won yeah. a playoff series and so forth. And it's, I, it's, and I'm about to that's, cry that's that the, the well, that's the 2004 Red Sox fan in me that, that, uh, still believes the Leafs will do it. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but then, but then my Bruins fan, in comes our lifetime, right? yeah, 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 no, I, 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 think, I don't know. I, I think we'll, we'll eventually see them, uh, win a cup, unfortunately for me, but yeah, so I, so I, I lost my sense when at first I'm following them. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it doesn't, then that's, yeah, yeah. Anyways. Um. Anyway, so you mentioned the top teams, Carolina and Florida. Uh, one of them is the team I'm about to describe, and that would be Carolina. And here's why. Carolina is a team, as we all know, that thrives on speed. Pace, forecheck, backcheck. They have a lot of guys that can just drive the play. What I think they need as well is a net front presence. A guy that isn't afraid to go to the front of the net and tip pucks in. Not saying they don't have any of that already, but they could use more of that. They also need, I think, a bit more of a Jordan Stahl-like leadership. Because we all know, once the Metro Division playoffs get underway, you're going to have a couple of tall orders for Carolina right off the bat whoever you're going to face in the first and second round they're going to be some pretty good competition in all likelihood and against Nashville last year I mean they did okay they peppered UC Saros with shots but Nashville still had a fighting chance and then against Tampa they were able to hang around with them but at the end of the day it just wasn't enough I think a guy with the leadership that Pavelski provides 
would be key for the Carolina Hurricanes. So he would add a dimension to their offense that they could use more of. He adds the leadership, which is good. And also when I look at the wingers, there at, at some points there's a bit left to be desired. Obviously, Sveshnikov on the left side, no problems there. But according to Daily Faceoff, here is how line two, line three, and line four goes. Martinuk on the second line, Nita Ryder on the third line, Derek Stefan on the fourth line. On the right side, you have Jesper Faust on the top line because Teravainen is currently injured. You have Seth Jarvis, a very good young player with a bright NHL future, but right now, not an established NHLer like Joe Pavelski is. Then you have Steven Lorenz on line three and Martin Nekash on uh, line four, who, again, young player, a lot of potential, but not nearly at Joe Pavelski's caliber. Down the middle, they're fine because they have Aho, Trocek, and Jordan Stahl. Yes, Barry Kakanami on the fourth line. So down the middle, I don't think they need Pavelski. But on the wings, they definitely could. And Nino Niederreiter, it should be noted, like Vincent Trocek, is an unrestricted free agent after this year. I think the odds of them keeping Trocek are more likely than they, they're keeping Niederreiter. Not because Niederreiter is bad, but I look at Nino Niederreiter and I'm just thinking, yeah, he could do pretty well on Carolina, but could they do better with someone else? Probably. So for, for that reason, I think Niederreiter is the on man out there. So it wouldn't shock me if they went with Pavelski and Dallas gets a decent roster player like Niederreiter. I think they'd be fine with that too. Um, and they do have some young prospects and they don't have a first this year, but uh, they have a first in 2023, a first in 2024. They have a second round pick in each of the next three years too. They have uh, some talented prospects that uh, maybe the Dallas Stars would like. So yeah, I, I think Carolina would definitely make a push for Pavelski. I I don't know that for a fact. I don't have any beats on them, but they're they're a team that just like if, if they wanted to add a lethal top six winger to make their team super credible in time for a lengthy playoff run, Pavelski just fits the bill for me. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Like, the thing that I was just thinking, though, is that, like, Pavelski is, like, the best player on the Stars right now. And so, like, but, like, he could be, like, a third line on Carolina. He could be on the third line in Colorado. He could be on the third line on a lot of these teams. And if you have, like, Pavelski on your third line, that, like, adds so much to your depth. Um, so, so that could be like a way to, to go about it too, is like, it doesn't, he doesn't necessarily have to be on the top six if you're getting a guy like Joe Pavelski. Um, um, okay. So now the last one we're going to talk about is John Klingberg. This is a little different from all the other situations that we've talked about because John Klingberg has expressed that he wants out of Dallas. Um, reportedly he is a free agent, uh, this off season. Um, so he would be a rental, but he has been reported that he uh, is going to want $8 million for, I think, a long term. I forget how many years, but it's reported that he wants $8 million as an annual average value, which, as we just talked about, the Dallas Stars cap situation, that's not going to happen. Um, especially considering that they have Miro Heiskin in, they have uh, Harley um, in the system, who's, who's going to be pretty good. 
Um, According to Jeff Merrick, by the way, eight years, $63 million is what uh, the Klingberg camp was looking okay. for, and the Stars weren't keen on that. And so, but like, so 64 divided by eight, that would be, I'm just doing math here. So that'd be eight, eight by eight. 64, so close to eight on the nose. Yeah. Eight years for, wait, that's, that's kind of insane. Because John Klingberg's 29 years old. So <laughs> what team is going to get, give him eight by eight as a 29 year old? And he's just turning 30, so that means I you mean, have him for 30 years. I mean, for the teams that we criticize for, like, why would you give him that? I mean, <laughs> there is a team that would give him that. What what team? It would be you... Chicago this time, uh, but I mean, hey, Seth Jones could get, like... Oh, I, I thought... I, oh, I, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's different for Seth Jones, because Seth Jones is 27 years old, and he's, he's, he's good, whereas, like, John Klingberg is making... Um, like he hasn't been good in a, like in four seasons. <laughs> it's like uh, yeah, pretty good season last year though. Yeah, decent I guess. Thirty six points in fifty three games. Uh, this year he has twenty three points in thirty seven games. Um, I I was uh, referring to the 2018-2019 season where he had forty five points in sixty four games. Yeah. Or the 2017-2018 season where he had sixty seven points in eighty two games. Um, yeah. So that that probably was his best season. Now that I think about it, but uh, but that like when you look here, yeah, he had fifty eight points his second year in the league, uh, forty nine points the next year. So uh, that's decent for a defenseman. But then it seems like the last three years uh, weren't as good. Although I guess you do have a point that uh, thirty six points in fifty three games isn't totally bad. Um, it should also be noted he's yep. a minus 31 combined over the yeah. past three years. He yeah, wasn't a minus point. player up until that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Miro Heiskanen's there and he's Miro Heiskanen's basically taken over uh, John Klingberg's spot. Um, yeah. So, so there, there is that. But, like, anyways, going back to that contract, it's like there's the fact that he hasn't been good in the last three years. Uh, more or less, or what we expect him to be, um, and um, that's just like, uh, and he's like in his thirty years, where like normally, that's when you start to decline a lot. So it's like, I you can make a case if he continued to have like a fifty point pace, or even like you know continue that sixty seven and eighty two games type pace, but he hasn't. So it it just like. Like, how is he getting eight years, eight years? I thought you were actually going to talk about maybe Edmonton would do that, but I don't know. Um, so, uh, so it is different because he does want to get, he does want out. Um, and so he does want to be traded. And I guess the, the question is, is if he wants to be traded, is this going to be like a sign and trade? Um, or is this going to be a... Um, cause it, like you can't necessarily like trade him after the draft or before the draft, because then you can just get him for free or quote unquote free, um, after the draft, because then that's when he'll be a free agent. Um, so, so I guess you have to trade him now cause he wants out. Um, and, um, it makes sense. Even if you are, uh, close to making the playoffs, it's just like, okay, you can just, try to get the most out of it as you can. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess the question is, is do you want it, like, is he going to be a rental or is he just going to be, like, they're just going to 
to trade him, and then immediately uh, that team's going to sign him. Um, so I don't know if any team is really going to sign him for eight years, but I'll, I'll go bring it to you while I think of what team could possibly be dumb enough to do that. Um, <laughs> but, but yes, uh, what are your thoughts on John Klingberg? Um, while you're looking for that team, I already have a team in mind, okay. but I'll save that for later. Sure, sure. Uh, so before asking for $8 million per year, which is ton of Shabbat money, let's be honest. It's not Seth, jo- it's not Seth Jones money. It's not Darnell Nurse money. Yeah. It's not even Eric Carlson or Drew Doughty money. It's $8 million per season. And it's funny that people might think this is a bit too much for John Klingberg when you realize his current cap it is $4.25 million. Like, the Stratus have had a bargain for yeah. the better part of, like, four or five years at least. Yeah. Um, which sure. makes him very desirable, similar to Jacob Chikrin on the open market right now. Um, but, of course, the contract extension is – it. Uh, I think a sign-and-trade would be ideal for Dallas just simply because of the return that they could get. Now, the question is what type of return they want – in, in return, which we'll get to later. Uh, but getting to his roller coaster year, after his first 29 games, one goal, 18 points, minus 11. At the point we're recording this right now, he has 23 points in 37 games, but as you mentioned, and a minus 16 rating should be noted over 82 games, that's still 51 points, yeah. which is just net above what he was averaging in his first and third NHL season. So that's still pretty decent. Averaging 21-32 per game this year overall in all situations. 247 on the power play. Both those numbers are a bit down from last year. Uh, In terms of power play totals, 12 power play points. So most of his production has been on the power play. People might consider that as a knock. And yeah, they might have a point there. Uh, In terms of his shots per game, uh, he has 59 shots over the course of 37 games. So that's 1.59 shots per game. That's a noticeable dip from last year when it was just over two. Um, but but still, the the, the points are, are there in the right situations. He could do a lot of damage for a hockey club. And I just don't think he's really been in the right situation to thrive, largely because Amir Heiskanen, who is probably also playing on the same line as us and Lindell, who's more of a shutdown defenseman and probably the best one that the Stars have. And the Stars also don't have Jamie Alexiak, who um, was moved to Seattle um, because, you know, uh, cap reasons. And also the Stars had to give up somebody. So he ended up being the guy. So maybe that negatively affects John Klingberg, too. Similar in which uh, Jacob Chikrin's development, uh, people say Oliver Ekman Larson was a good, stable presence there. Maybe the fact that he's not there anymore has led to Chikrin's decline slightly, which could which could make sense too. So when I look at the offensive numbers, I think John Klingberg is still a pretty decent player, and I definitely think he will get that kind of money. I think there's a 60% chance he's getting moved out of Dallas just because the Stars really have no need. They also have Thomas Harley coming up the pipeline too. So why would you keep john klingberg for another seven or eight years when you have a young talented defenseman probably coming up down the line similar to what um the avalanche had with bowen byram you get a couple of 
entry-level years out of Thomas Harley, uh, if he develops into a relatively young, stable NHL blue liner, then you get, I don't know, four to five bargain years of a, of a Thomas Harley contract. So John Klingberg 2.0, perhaps. Um, if there was a five-game span in particular where his time on ice slowly declined, January 6th, it was 21:48. By the time we got to a Florida blowout, it was 18:07. He was kind of in the doghouse at that point. Um, so I, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, and it was also noted that he was actually dropped to the third pairing at one point before a game against Tampa Bay. Um, so, yeah, Florida, I don't think, uh, treats him too kindly. So, and, and I don't think either Florida or Tampa could really afford him. So I don't think he, he goes there per se, but what he's going to provide is top four minutes, power play opportunities, power play assists, and just adds an offensive dynamic, um, asset that. I think a lot of teams could use for a playoff run. Is he really going to change the look of a team overnight? Nah, I don't, I don't think John Klingberg's that valuable, but he's definitely a very good offensive defenseman with a lot of years left in the tank. And that, that, that matters for a lot of teams. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have my team, uh, mm-hmm. Calgary flames. Um, mm-hmm. so I mean, it, it depends. I, I'm not sure if they want him. Like, I guess they can make it work if it's a rental. Um, they do have some cap space, and, and they can move stuff around. So it, it, they. But could they have lots of power play presence, yeah. though. Yeah. On the back exactly. End. So that that's kind of what I was thinking of, and and they're close. To, you know, they're they're in the playoff hunt. Um, Noah Hannafin's been good, um, and same with Rasmus Anderson. But I think you would rather have John Klingberg if you want to make that extra step. Um, so I, I think that would be the, the move there. And, and yeah, I, I don't think that they would necessarily sign him to an 8x8 eight because eight they have their own issues uh, long-term because, um, like, who knows what's going on with Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk because they're going to be free agents. But yeah. I, I, I think Klingberg, at least as a rental, could help them out now um, as later. You mentioned Florida. I think that's another team. But it's the thing with Florida is, like, I'm not – it would have probably also have to be a, um, a, uh, a just a, a rental. Um, I don't think that they have enough room to make him uh, to to sign him long term. What he asked, yeah, they definitely don't. Um, so um, Florida is probably the, the other one, but I don't I don't think they have the cap space um, in order to do it. But yeah, maybe they can make it work somehow. You want to hear my team? Um, yes. Okay. Before I before I give up my team, I want to ask you a question. Which team off the top of your head has the most cap flexibility this season? And by team, I mean contending team. Well, it's different because I, I am actually looking at the cap-friendly page. Um, but uh, probably... Um, uh, I mean Anaheim, I guess. Um, yeah, they, they could be a they could be another team, but I don't think, uh, not, I don't not, think that's the, not, not the team that I'm thinking of. Your Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, I was actually thinking he's going with the Penguins. I I should have guessed <laughs> that. Damn it. Uh, 
<laughs> I don't know if you saw their cap friendly page, but they have a lot of salary cap space to work with next year. Oh, next now, year. Now, of course, okay. there's going to be a caveat to that, and I will explain shortly. If you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, you have an aging Chris Letang. Yep. Who is still pretty good. I mean, it's Chris Letang. Still a pretty good player. Um, you have John Marino, who has quite a bit of term. But offensively, um, I don't think we've really seen that type of an offensive improvement. Now, mind you, it could be because he hasn't really gotten the chance to displace that offensive improvement. They also have four more years of Mike Matheson. And they have another three years of Marcus Peterson. All of those guys have cap hits over $4 million. Are any of them as good as prime John Klingberg, though? And this is all about Pittsburgh extending their window. Mm -hmm. So that's why I bring up John Klingberg's name. Now, in terms of the forward group, Evgeny Malkin, with a cap hit of $9.5 million, is going to be a free agent. Brian Rust, one of the most underrated forwards in the league in terms of contract, has a $3.5 million cap hit. That is sure to change when he gets paid, you guessed it, pending unrestricted free agent come July 1st. And they also have a couple of depth guys, one of which is Evan Rodriguez, where, hey, what do you know? Like averaging 0.8 points per game just because the Penguins just had that luck with people. And they also have a short-term uh, tandem of Jerry and DeSmith that they're going to have to decide in a couple of years how that's going to work out. So that that's the negatives. However, if you're going to look for a stable puck-moving, power play-generating defenseman, I think this this would offer a good solution for John Klingberg in terms of long-term stability. He's got a lot of young, talented forwards to play with, too. It, it would just work. Again, do the Pittsburgh Penguins have the futures to make it happen? They definitely have the roster players. You look at a guy like Jason Zucker, unfortunately, it hasn't worked out well. So maybe they include him in a package. Maybe they include a young prospect and a first round pick. But is that exactly what Dallas is going to be looking for? If they hope to sign John Klingberg to a long-term extension and make this a sign and trade, I don't think that's even close. So that's, that's going to be the main con is how much does Pittsburgh really want John Klingberg? And do they want him for the next seven to eight years after this one? Because if the answer to that question is yes, they're going to have to give up more than the three assets I just mentioned to make that happen. Yeah. It's funny. I When I was looking at all the teams, I was just thinking, oh, yeah, Pittsburgh, they, they probably could do it. That would be a good team. Because they always make those, like, sneaky kind of trade deadline deals like uh, Jeff Carter yeah. did last year. <laughs> like, I had them in my brain. And even when you were saying, like, okay, I have a team in mind – and like I was just thinking, like, oh, he's gonna say the Penguins. I knew it. I know it. And I didn't even. I didn't even say it because I was just thinking, like, because then you, then you asked me like that cap situation. Because then I like, I thought like, oh, right, the Penguins. Maybe they. Maybe it's not. He's not gonna say the Penguins because they they don't necessarily have that cap situation. Uh, and then, and then, uh, yeah. So <laughs> then he picked the Penguins. So we were on the same wavelength. It just. Uh, I, I, I messed that up. <laughs> Just it took a bit longer uh, to, to get to our destination. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so this is a bit long, but that's okay. Um, 
So uh, lastly, just other guys you think could be traded. Um, I have three. Uh, one uh, is Giroux, and we talked about that last week, but I do think he actually goes. It's kind of a similar situation as Pavelski. He probably wants to chase that cup. He's been in the league forever, so I could see him moving. Well, speaking of the Penguins, it would be kind of funny because he is kind of that like Jeff Carter type person. So it would be funny if he goes to the Penguins. I don't think Flyers fans would be particularly happy about that. Um, but uh, the other ones that I think go, we did mention it, but uh, Phil Kessel, um, I think goes um, as well, uh, just because you know um, I I, th- I think um, he's probably. I mean, he he still has some left in the tank, I would imagine. I mean, he, of course, he does have those two cups already, but I, I could see him um, making a, a like a good depth move for a playoff team somewhere. Do so you I, think the Bruins go after him? Yeah, that'd be cool. I was I, I thought you were going to say the Leafs because that would be even funnier. Um, yeah, it, it would be pretty yeah. funny. Or the Penguins again. Yeah, or the Penguins again. Yeah, just just he goes back to like the 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 three teams that he was actually pretty unhappy for. Um, Although I guess he was happy in Pittsburgh, although I think it didn't it, it didn't end as well. Um, yeah. But um, and then lastly, I this I'm not even sure if he get this guy gets traded, but I I do find it interesting because um, I don't uh, Ricard Raquel. Um, yeah. I I think he's probably going somewhere, but uh, Anaheim like is in a weak division. I could see them being in the playoffs, so maybe they decide to keep him around. Um, and, and who knows? Um, so, so maybe they, they do decide to keep him, but, um, but I am interested to see if the, what the Ducks decide to do with Ricard Raquel, um, in a similar vein to what, like, um, her, like the hurdle situation. It's like, okay, if they're going to be in the playoffs, then maybe you keep him, but if they're not, um, then you probably trade him. So it, it really just depends on these next couple of weeks. Yeah, those, those are good options and definitely on my mind as well. I'm going to go a bit off the board with mine. I'm going to go with the trio of Canucks, uh, JT Miller, Connor right. Garland, and Brock Besser. The reason I mention those guys is because apparently the Canucks are trying to create some cap space, which they don't have too much of. Um, Brock Besser, as we know, is going to be a restricted free agent at the end of this year. I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen there. Um, and if he's not going to be around, then you might as well just sell that at the trade deadline. Connor Garland is interesting because they just gave him a five-year extension, and he's been playing very, very well. But again, if they need to create cap space, he's going to be one of the guys they turn to to get the most value because <laughs> Oliver Ekman Larson's not going to get you value right now. And then that leaves JT Miller, whose name I've heard maybe linked to the Rangers. Yep which is funny because that was the team he was first traded from um, in, to Tampa Bay along with Ryan McDonough. I think that was 2018, I want to say, when the Rangers uh, first started uh, their letter. Um, but yeah, JT Miller, unlike back then, has become a legit top six forward and a legit point-per-game player. Uh, and just a very passionate dude. Uh, we all remember what happened when the Canucks schedule was just absolutely rammed by COVID-19 and they were playing like a ridiculous amount of back-to-backs and JT Miller was the guy to pipe up and say, um, what? Yeah. 
Like, this isn't right. <laughs> he's, he, he's, he's a guy that isn't afraid to speak up. Um, and there was rumblings, I, I, I think, in our email chats that maybe that JT Miller wasn't really keen on re-signing with Vancouver, given all that's happened within the past 18 months or whatever. So I can definitely see the JT Miller thing happening if any of these trades happen, but I think it's going to be more so of a testing of the waters to see what's out there. And unless there's a move that really takes Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin by surprise, I don't think the Canucks make any of those three trades. If they do, it's probably during the off season, like a draft day type of trade where they see where all of the chips fall. Cause I don't really think, um, it's it, it's worth like waiting on uh, seeing what happens. They maybe if they're that sure if Brock Besser isn't coming back after this year, then maybe they do make that trade. But uh, again, I don't think they're really keen on moving any of these bases uh, unless the deal absolutely makes sense for them. But given the fact that their names are being thrown out there and there there seems to be legit reports that they could be expendable. Um, watch out for Vancouver because they might surprise you. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I remember that there was reports that uh, JT Miller was upset with Elias Pettersson and uh, Bo Horvat. Or like there's some tension where JT Miller is not um, happy with like the other superstars in the um, Yeah, the he team wasn't happy with a few things. Yeah, so yeah, I could see that being the, the case somewhere. Um, I actually saw a couple of like Twitter Bruins Twitter people. Uh, one, uh, I guess there is like rumors going around, and one was floating the idea of maybe trading like Fabian Liesel for uh, T.J. Miller earlier today. And I was just like, I'm not sure if that's actually going to happen. I would rather have Liesel. I I I, I like uh, J.T. Miller. Don't get me wrong, but I I think Liesel would. Uh, if you're going to trade, like, we just drafted him. We haven't had a fun prospect to look forward to in a while. So you're <laughs> saying is you wouldn't trade a young prospect for JT Miller one for one? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't I mean, complain. I'd be tempted if it's only one for one. I, I wouldn't, yeah, if it is one for one, yeah, I guess I would have to. But, like, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's it's more to that, like, we haven't had a, we've, we haven't had a blue chip prospect in a long, long, long time. So, yeah. Sure you have. Yeah, David Pasternak. <laughs> yeah, and, and and Charlie McAvoy. But yeah, no, I, I I guess that that's true too. But it's just I don't know. It's just uh, I I guess maybe I'm more protective of my prospects. It's like we finally no, have absolutely. A, As we a find, of my sins. It's just it's, like yeah. why why would you give up uh, right. the young players that well, you're going to rely on for well, a veteran that yeah. you know yeah it'd be great right now, but for how long? Right. Whereas like for Lee Sell, it's like he's probably going to be a winger. Like a legitimate, like we don't know how good he's going to be, but he's going to be in the NHL for, for sure. Um, so, like, it's like, how good is he going to be? And I don't know. I guess like that, that that's always just the name of the game when you make these kind of trades. But just like I don't know, I, I feel like uh, we would end up regretting it um, because then it's like if we trade for now, yeah, you you do give it for. Bergeron and Marshawn's run, but then at the same time, it's like, uh, then in like five years, uh, <laughs> we're like, 
we're like the Arizona Coyotes, and we don't even have good prospects anymore. So it's just like we, we I don't know. I I would I would feel strange for doing that. Um, uh, I, I would be okay though if it's like for Tomas Hurdle or for um, Chikrin, just because like they're they're younger than J T Miller is, but um, okay. but I like for the record. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I would probably just be okay with it eventually, but I, I don't know if I necessarily would, like, run off and do it. Uh, it would take some thought. Um, okay, oh, and lastly, I, um, I just saw here on the wire, uh, Jack Hughes has been added to the COVID-19 protocol list. Uh, this is... Oh. This is significant. Uh, I only mention this because, like, you know, a lot of people were on the protocol list. But this is interesting just because, like, he was at the All-Star game. Um, so he was around a lot of other All-Stars and, and all Trevor that stuff. Trevor Zegers being one of them. Yeah, yeah Trevor Zegers being one of them. Breakaway skills. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, like, interesting. It's just, like, how long. Like, yeah, I mean, and they're buddies because of the U.S. national team. So, um, yeah, it's just more interesting to see if uh, what um, – um, like if there's going to be more of like these all-stars getting being on the COVID protocol list. And I don't know if like Jack Hughes was the guy who like the first person to get it, but yeah, he was, he tested positive. So uh, yeah. I, I don't know. So <laughs> this is this going to fuel a big conversation because it's just like, Oh, so he went to the Olympics because he didn't, Right. Really want a COVID outbreak, and then but it you turns went out to be a super spreader. to bring yeah. this in, and oh, we might have a COVID outbreak. Fantastic. Right, 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 right. right. It's like it ends up being a super spreader <laughs> already. <laughs> um, Boy, Brad Marshall could, uh, hey, he picked the right time to miss an All Star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do have a theory that that was his punishment of like speaking out about the Olympics and stuff like that. But yeah, maybe yeah. he Good was call smart. By him if yeah. that's the case. But then again, it's like okay, his best teammate. Uh, like Bergeron might might be uh, prone to get it. What I do find interesting though this week though is like Florida, LA, the Rangers, uh, the Sharks. Yeah, and the Sharks they don't play any games this week. Um, so so I do, I do find it. I I think like the next couple of weeks must be because of the Olympics, um, and maybe like arena stuff. But uh, I do find it interesting that like we're Could gonna it be have because teams... of the bye weeks because I remember that was a thing. Oh, it might be a bye week thing. I was thinking it could that be a bye week thing. it could be a bye week thing, but I was thinking that because the Olympics hap are like going on right now, um, and like I remember they were saying that like some arenas already booked like concerts and events because mm, they thought the Olympics right. would take over. So I think it has more to do with that than than. Um, than the bye weeks, but maybe it is the bye weeks. I don't know, but yeah, it's also Super Bowl week, and I feel like a lot of America is gonna be pretty glued yeah, to yeah. that. So, but but I, I like there are a couple teams that like uh, I only know this because of fantasy, but uh, there's a couple teams that only play once. <laughs> uh, the Ducks and the um, the Kraken play. Oh yeah, the Kraken play twice, but the Ducks play once uh, this week. Uh. But um, so so yeah, there's it's going to be um, an interesting few couple of weeks here, especially for the trade deadline um, and all that stuff. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this long episode. Um, we've been planning this out for a long time, and but we figured the All Star break is when all these stuff starts to heat up, and and who knows, maybe there won't be a trade, a big trade next week. But um, but yeah, we'll we'll just see. 
Um, so that's about it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter um, at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can also listen to us and subscribe to us on uh, wherever else you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, um, even SoundCloud. Um, yep, and uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Tuboff. I'm Steve Alsworth. We'll talk again in episode 307 of the Lace Month Podcast.